Thanks, Matt and Imogen. It's lovely to be here again this morning. Uh, my task this morning is to try and preach through 14 chapters of Isaiah in about 25 minutes. So uh, if you want to turn back to Isaiah chapter 7, it's on page, uh, actually I've got a different Bible, I think it's, what page is on Isaiah 7? 626 in your Bibles. And if you've got one of these booklets, now's a good chance to pull that out. This is our booklet together with our sermon series. And the title this morning is the God, Trust the God Who is Almighty. Uh, that word almighty means all-powerful. It means that he is strong. He is the warrior. Uh, the, one of the common titles for God in the book of Isaiah is the Lord God of hosts. It's the idea of the Lord God who is the king who is fighting for you. He's the, the warrior king. And I want to ask you, is that how you feel about God, that he is fighting for you, that he is your warrior king, that he is all-powerful? Yeah, we're going to sing after the sermon, God is able. God is able. Uh, God is with us. God is for us. He will never fail us. Is that how you think about your God? That he's always able, he's always powerful, he's always for you, he's always with you. I look at this verse from our section, Isaiah 12 verse 2. It says, God is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid. For the Lord is my strength and my song. It's a beautiful verse, but do you believe that? Do you really trust him and depend on him and rely on him and you don't live your life in fear? Uh, what I'm asking really is where your security lies. Who do you run to in times of need? Who do you, who do you depend on in those dark times in life? So, so when you're afraid, when you're fearful, oh, I don't know, maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's a financial issue, maybe it's a relational issue, who do you run to? Who do you turn to? Dr. Google? Financial planners? Secular counselors? If, if you're a Christian, do, do, you, do you honestly run to God amongst the pain, amongst the confusion, cast your cares onto him, hand it over to God, seek refuge in God? There's no point in knowing a verse if you don't actually do it. When you're fearful of society or fearful of people, when it feels like living as a Christian in this world is just too difficult. Uh, when you're fed up, let's be honest, when you're fed up of, of trying to live the godly life and it just seems that everybody else out there is prospering and happy, but, but you are miserable. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 73, says, now, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, it feels as though my, my feet had almost slipped. I, I looked at the world and I saw them prospering. They had no worries. But me, I'm trusting God and my life's a mess. Do you ever feel like that? It's all well and good knowing verses from the Bible, but if you don't actually do it and put into practice. So there's times of trial, there's times of tragedy, there's times of trouble. If you don't actually seek refuge in him and run to him, it's just a verse on a piece of paper. And, and the problem that we have is that we're, we're good at memorizing verses. 
Hebrews 13, verse 5, God says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Psalm, Psalm 1, you know, happy is the man who doesn't sit in a seat, seat of mockers, but his delight in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night, and everything he does prospers. And we, we learn these verses, but reality can be quite different, can't it? Because in the time of trial, the time of crisis, and the time of tragedy, often we run anywhere and everywhere but God himself. And our last shouts, trust the God who is almighty. Trust the God who is powerful, who is strong, who knows everything, who is able. We've got three, three signs this morning that you're a man or a woman who really does trust God. Here's the first one. It's faith, not fear. You're confident that God is more powerful than people. And you are confident that God's in control of every situation. And you are confident that God sees it and knows it and protects you. So you have your faith in him. You're not fearful of the situation. You have your faith in God. You're not fearful of people. So look at the contrast between King Ahaz, the king of God's people, the king of Judah. He's a man of fear. And Isaiah, he's a man of faith. Look at Isaiah chapter 7. Ahaz is facing this crisis. The year is 735 BC, and the king of Assyria is Tiglath-Pileser III. He's on the attack. His mission is world domination. The enemies are about about to invade, and you've got these two kings in verse 1. This took place during the reign of King Ahaz. He's a king of Judah, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. But these two kings, Rezin, and Pekah are kings of Israel, the northern kingdom. And they're waging war against Jerusalem, but he could not succeed. So when it became known to the house of David that Aram had occupied Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, the king, and the heart of his people, God's people, trembled like trees of a forest, shaking in the wind. Isn't that a beautiful picture of fear? They're panicking, they are paralyzed it seems like the enemy is too big for them there's no way out they're overwhelmed they are anxious now now what is king ahaz fearful of and the answer is everything he's fearful of losing his kingdom losing his throne losing his life i don't know whether you've ever felt that that life is just too overwhelming and you are terrified Well, God in his kindness sends Isaiah in verse 3. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go out with your son, Shir Jazbud, which means remnant, to meet Ahaz, to meet the king. And say to him, verse 4, Calm down and be quiet. It's like those posts, you know, keep calm. Calm down, be quiet. Don't be afraid, Ahaz. Don't be afraid. Don't be cowardly. Because God's in control here, and these two smoldering stubs of firebrands, these two kings, Rezin and Pekah, they're not going to win. Oh, their plan, their plot is to destroy you, but that's not God's plan. So trust God, have faith in God, don't fear your situation, don't fear powerful people. 
the Lord says, verse 7, it will not happen. It will not occur. The head of Aram is Damascus. The head of Damascus is resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. Go to the end of verse 9. Ahaz, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. It's a beautiful verse. He says, Ahaz, take God at his word. Don't just see things from a human perspective as though God doesn't know and God's not in control. It's easy, it's easy to do that, isn't it? You know, when the tragedy strikes, you, you just want to wash your hands with God. If you don't stand firm in your faith, if you're paralyzed by fear, you will not stand. But Ahaz chose fear. See that verse 10? The Lord spoke again to Ahaz, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. What struck me about Ahaz this week is that whenever he referred to God, he never used the personal pronoun. Not once does Ahaz say, my God or our God. It's always the God, the God Almighty. You see, it's interesting that if you do not have a personal relationship with God, if your view of God is just facts about him, he's the God of this and the God of that, but he's not your God, he's not my God, then don't be surprised that if you're paralyzed by fear rather than faith. So Ahaz refused to listen to God's messenger. He didn't like what Isaiah said. I don't know what Ahaz wanted to hear, you know. Maybe Ahaz wanted to hear that life would be wonderful and he would flourish, he'd have an amazing life. God never told him that. What God actually said was there'll be hardships and trials and suffering, but God will be with you and God will provide for you and God will be your warrior king. So trust him. God offered him hope, but Ahaz didn't believe God. And it's pretty clear he had no faith because he ends up calling on the king of Assyria and aligning himself with Assyria rather than God's people. That was his big mistake when he felt threatened, when he felt under attack, when he was scared. His human logic kicked in and said, I know, let's align myself with those big powerful people. Let's be friends with the big guys and then life will be amazing. And it's tempting to do that, isn't it? When you just see your life from a human perspective, it's tempted to think, let's just make friends with the, the successful people and the powerful people and life will be better. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, Isaiah said, Listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? How dare you try the patience of my God, says Isaiah, living to try and solve your own problems and messing around with a pagan world, how dare ye? Verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, now before you jump to the New Testament, before you jump to Matthew and think, okay, he's talking about Jesus. No, God with us. Nice, comfortable cuddle because God is there alongside us. In its context, this verse is not a picture of God cuddling and comforting. It's a picture of God being with them to judge. 
Isaiah is saying to Ahaz, because you live in fear, not by faith, God will be with you as your Emmanuel, but he's coming to judge you. And that's exactly what did happen in the rest of the chapter. The northern kingdoms did fall to Assyria in 722, and Assyria did attack Judah. Because they did not stand in their faith. They lived by fear. And maybe that's you here this morning. You're overwhelmed by the world around you. It's hard to be a Christian. You're scared of life. And the world seems so attractive. And it's easier to trust the world rather than God. It's like Isaiah is a lone figure. Just flick over to chapter 8. 8 verse 11. Isaiah speaking. This is what the Lord said to me with great power to help me from going the way of his people. We need to hear this, friends. Do not call everything an alliance these people say is an alliance. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of hosts as holy. Only he should be feared. Only God should be feared and revered. Only God should be held in awe. Down to verse 17. Isaiah says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait patiently, expectantly, faithfully. I will wait, trust, and run to my God. So my simple question this morning is, is are you an Ahaz or an Isaiah? Do you, do you live in fear or do you live in faith? Do, do you wait for the Lord and trust in the Lord or do you look to the world and fear what the world feels and reveres what the world feels? The, the extraordinary thing in these chapters is that God had given them so many signs, the promise that God would be with them, the promise in chapter 9, flick over the page, of the people walking in, the in darkness have seen a great light. For a child will be born first, a son will be given first, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. That's what they were promised. They promised God with them, God providing for them, God ruling over them, God giving them peace. But they chose to fear and to trust the world. That's the first sign that you trust the God Almighty, that you live in faith, not by fear. Number two. Humility, not pride. Humility, not pride. If you're a, a person who trusts in the God Almighty, your life is marked by humility and dependence, not by pride and arrogance. Let's get back to our history lesson. So the, the Assyrian soldiers are, are descending on the northern territory, on the ten tribes. And if you've got a picture, if you could see a picture, it would be rubble everywhere, Houses destroyed, buildings destroyed, trees are felled, bodies everywhere, a bit like a war zone. That is God judging his people. Now, how should they respond in that moment of crisis? Surely you would go, oh, God, please help us. Surely it's a wake-up call. Oh, gosh, we've forgotten God. But they don't do that. Look at chapter 9, verse 8. The Lord sent a message about Jacob, against Jacob. It came against Israel, God's people, all the people. Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria will know it. And they will say with pride and with arrogance, 
Yeah, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with cut stones. The sycamore trees have been cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. The Lord has raised up resins, adversaries against him, and stirred up his enemies. Aaron from the east, Philistia from the west have, been, have consumed Israel with open mouths. In all this, God's anger is not removed, and his hand is still raised to strike. As I read this week, this week I was utterly shocked. It's kind of like God judging his people, God destroying their buildings, God felling their trees, and, and God is destroying people. But rather than going, oh, gosh, turn back to God, depend on God, cry out to God. What do they say, verse 10? The bricks have fallen, but we'll rebuild. We're going to build bigger houses. And the sycamores have been cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. And they boast about their plans to rebuild and to replant, and they boast about their ability to survive, and they boast about themselves, and that is called pride. The prophets always are called to ask the question, is this disaster's God's call for his people to repent? Is this tragedy, this crisis, a chance for us to draw closer to God? But they go into solution mode and self-help mode and self-sufficiency mode. There's a repeated phrase in chapter 9. It comes in verse 12, in verse 17, in verse 21. Do you see it? In all this, God's anger is not removed and his hand is still raised to strike. So God removes our leaders, verses 14 to 16. He removes their people, verses 18 to 21. And it gets worse and worse and worse for God's people because they are proud and they are arrogant and they do not turn back to God. Turn over to chapter 10. In the book of Isaiah, Assyria or the, the, the nations is always a picture of the world, the society around us. Chapter 10, verse 12. But when the Lord finishes all his work against Mount Zion and Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for his arrogant acts and the proud look in his eyes. For he said, I've done this by my own strength and wisdom, and I am clever. I abolished the borders of nations and plundered their treasures, and like a mighty warrior, I subjugated the inhabitants. My hand was reached out as if into a nest to seize the wealth of the nations. Like one gathering abandoned eggs, I gathered the whole earth. Do you spot it? I, me, my, I did this, I did that, I am wonderful. That was the the king of the nations, and that is us. That's the world, and that's often us. Let's be totally honest with yourself. Don't be honest. You talk about my plans, my success, my achievements, my strength, my wisdom, my understanding. And just like Assyria... We, Australia, often look back on history with no reference to God. No, we're the winners, we're the heroes, we're the lucky country, we're the success story, we survived this, we're, we're self-congratulating, we're self-exalting. And the scary thing is, as Christians, it can be easy to slip into that, can it? To think that you're in control all the time. A few years ago, Ed Yorson actually gave me this paper called The Fifty Fruits of Pride. 
And I think he was subtly trying to tell me something. And he was right. He was right. Because pride is at the core of each one of us. Let me just read a few. The 50 fruits of pride. I want to be well known or important. I like having a position or a title. I'm sinfully competitive. I want to impress people and I want people to impress with me by the clothes or the vehicle or the furniture or the house or the company you work for. I like to talk about myself. I tend to be self-sufficient in the way that I live, self-focused. But sometimes I feel insecure because I'm afraid that I will fail. I'm a perfectionist who is self-serving and sometimes feels better or superior. Is that you? It's me at my core. See, Isaiah says that proud, godless societies will not survive because God will judge them. And proud, godless people will not survive because God will judge us. If we choose to ignore God and puff ourselves up and think that we are wonderful, then God's promise is of a terrifying judgment. Now what does the scripture say? Remember the promise of Isaiah chapter 11 where it talks about God is going to send the spirit of the Lord on this person who will give wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord and he will not judge and he will execute, he will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. It's a great promise of this, this Savior who's going to come. And when you come across to the Lord Jesus Christ, what, what you find is not a, a proud, arrogant warrior king. What, what do you find? How did Jesus enter the world as a, as a humble, helpless baby? And how did Jesus leave the world as a humble, Man on a cross, didn't he? And do you remember in Philippians chapter 2 where it's talking about the, the cross and it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself and he took on the nature of a servant and he went to a cross. Now that is humility, isn't it? Sometimes... I want God to humble me. I want God to do all the work. But when you come to 1 Peter chapter 5, what does Peter say? He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. See, friends, we need to be marked by this Christ-like humility. We need to act like our saviour acted not with arrogance, not with boasting, not with pride but with utter utter humility we are not somebody's, we are nobody's who's been loved by God we should learn to humble ourselves before the, under the mighty hand of our, of our almighty God and the scary thing from Isaiah is as you read chapters 7 to 12, there's just a few of God's people who really were humble they were called the remnant. Not a flattering term. A remnant just means a, a runt. <laughs> just a few scattered people 
who really took God at his word were not proud. They trusted God. They depended on God. How do you do it? How do you humble yourselves? From this paper. Ask God to illuminate your heart so you can begin to see the fruits of pride in your life and invite friends to point out pride in your life, realizing your heart is exceedingly deceitful. Ask God to point, to convict you point by point and trust that he will and then confess your sins of pride to those you have affected and to your friends and then ask God for his forgiveness. That's the second mark of somebody who really trusts that God is all-powerful. They're marked by humility, not by pride. Here's the last mark. It's about God, not men. You trust in God's power, not in human politics. Flick over to chapter 19 of Isaiah. We had it read. Just to give you some context here. Chapters 13 right through to 24 are all these oracles, that, that is God's word to his nations, to his peoples and, and the world around us. You've got oracles to, to Babylon and to Damascus and to, to Cush and to Egypt and all these different nations, all these different countries. And God is, is telling them what, what he's going to do to these countries. And, and the scary thing is that he's always going to judge them for their godlessness. And I was thinking this week, it's easy for us to be impressed by the ways of the world. It's easy to be impressed by society. It's easy to get excited by the next big thing in the world and to see our world through this lens called the world. Listen to this quote. In this media-saturated society, even we Christians don't really believe that God reigns and everything that happens is under his control and orchestrated towards the fulfillment of his plan. The proof of that lies in our dependence on the nations and our dependence on our human abilities and resources or the world to see us through this life. And Isaiah 13 to 24 is basically saying, stop trusting people and start trusting God. Stop trusting structures and experience and politics because it's all proud empires who will come to nothing. I'm sharing my age here, but I, I, I love this picture. If you can see it. Remember who that is? Who's that a statue of? Saddam Hussein. And it's just this really beautiful symbol that like, someone who thought he was all-powerful and ruled this nation, and they were fearful of him because he was their ruler with all these philosophies and concepts and, and and just overnight, he just tumbles. And historically, that's what happened, isn't it? Every powerful leader has fallen or died. And all those empires, the Roman Empire, British Empire, communism, they've all fallen. And all our current superpowers, USA, China, even ISIS, they will crumble, they will fall. That's what these chapters are about. And Egypt, we're going to focus on chapter 19, it was the superpower. Once the, the people looked to Egypt for advice, and even Judah, God's church, God's people, they turned to Egypt for wisdom, and they asked Egypt to help them out. It, it, it would be a bit like 
if you could ever imagine this, the church thinking, oh, look, we're not really growing. Let's call on the world and get the world experts in and tell us how to grow a church. We'd never do that, would we? We'd never think that we need the wisdom of the world to, to grow the kingdom, would we? Well, well, God's people did. But what they didn't realize that God would judge Egypt. And all those people who claim to love God, they are terrified. We need to be clear, when God judges, it is terrifying. Verse 1 of chapter 19, look. The Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. And Egypt's idols will tremble before him. And Egypt's heart will, will melt within it. Verses 2 to 4, there will be social collapse. I'll provoke Egypt against Egypt, and each will fight against his brother, and each against his friend. There'll be internal strife and fighting and factions, and nothing will go according to their plans, because verse 3, I will frustrate their plans. Verses 5 to 10, you've got economic collapse, because the Nile dries up, and the Nile is a source of their economy, and if that dries up, there's no fishing, there's no agriculture, there's no money. Verse 8, the fishermen will mourn and all those who cast hawks into the Nile will, will lament and those who spread nets on the water will shrivel up. And then verses 11 to 15, you've got a picture of political collapse because the government are just fools. Verse 11, the princes of Zoan are complete fools. Pharaoh's wisest advisors give stupid advice. I love that. It's a picture of looking at a nation that is trying to do life without God and saying, you know your prime minister, you know your cabinet, they are give, they're giving stupid advice. They are just idiots. They are fools. All that accumulated godless wisdom of the world, their attitudes towards the poor and the needy and sex and marriage and right and wrong, it's all useless, it's all empty, it's all rubbish. And friends, you've got to believe that. You've got to believe that Godless societies that are making choices and decisions without God on his throne, all their collective wisdom, it might look impressive, it might sound persuasive, but it is rubbish. And just as God did judge Egypt, he will judge those godless societies. You've got to believe that. I don't know how else to, to warn you not to look to the world for your wisdom. I don't know how else to warn you not just to look to, select, to secular society for their advice. I don't know how else to, to warn you that you don't turn to them to help without turning to God first. Don't be taken in by the, the promises of happiness and success and the power that the world claims to offer when God is not there in it. I don't know how else to warn you. I'm not going to do an Isaiah. See how Isaiah warned them? Look over to chapter 20. I'm not going to do this. You'll be glad to know this. Verse 2. During the time that the Lord has spoken through Isaiah, son of Amos, saying, Go, take off your sackcloth, remove your sandal from your feet. And he did so, going naked and barefoot. The Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and an omen against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead the captives of Egypt naked and barefoot and with bared buttocks to Egypt's shame. 
I'm not going to do that. I'm not, not going to strip off and stand here naked and, and get down and plead with you for three years saying, listen, wake up, church. Don't look to the world. That's what Isaiah did. Why would he do that? Why would you wander around naked and bare buttocks and barefoot for three years? Because he was convinced and convicted in his heart that the people needed to wake up. I'm not going to do that. But you've got to learn that the ways of the world will not satisfy. And the advice of the world is often godless. Egypt fell. Is Egypt a superpower today? No. The Egyptians are long gone. The Assyrian superpower, they, they, they've gone. They look so mighty, but they, but they were crushed. The Babylonians have long since gone, and countless earthly kingdoms have long since gone. That's why chapter 20, verse 6 is such a good summary. Oh, from verse 5, those who made Cush their hope and Egypt their boast will be dismayed and ashamed. And the inhabitants of this coastland will say on that day, look, this is what has happened to those who relied on and fled to for help to rescue us from the king of Assyria. Now how will we escape? It's a great summary. This is what has happened to those people who did not turn to God but looked to the world. And maybe that is you here today. That in your crisis, in your tragedy, in your trial, in your troubles, the voice of the world is very attractive. The advice of the world is very seductive. And subtly and subtly and subtly you look to people and not to God. So I, I think these chapters would be an incredible encouragement to those men in prison in Vietnam. They live in a country... They're persecuted for their faith. They sit in prison for their faith. And to know, to know that these godless rulers and these godless powers, they're going to be judged and God will protect them. God will protect his people and his church. But but, but the the rulers will will crumble. That's an encouragement, isn't it? The problem for us is that we live in this pseudo-Christian country, don't we? Where the governments and your authorities, they make decisions with, a, with just a sprinkling of Christianity in it. And yet, of course, we're called to honor them and submit to them. But we don't buy into everything that they say. The last beautiful thing to remember is that all these nations, the Egypt, the Babylon, the Damascus, the Kush, the Vietnams, the Laos, the Chinas, the Africas, the Americas, they've all got God's people in them. Just a few, just a sprinkling. That's why I love chapter 19, verses 23 to 25, and I'll finish with this. A a picture of the last day, the end times. On that day, there'll be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. This is chapter 19, verse 23. Assyria will go to Egypt and Egypt to Assyria and Egypt will worship with Assyria. On that day, Israel will form a triple alliance with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing within a land. The Lord of hosts will bless them saying, Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork and Israel, my inheritance are blessed. 
And it's this beautiful picture of, of, of people from different nations and they're all worshipping the God of hosts and they're all worshipping the same God because that's the picture of grace, isn't it? When we're all celebrating the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're all standing firm on that one rock, that one secure foothold. Then all of us around the world, we, we recognize that God's on his throne. He is almighty. He will never fail us. So I want to ask you the same question I started with. Where does your security lie? Who do you run to in times of trouble? Who do you turn to in times of need? Remember the parable that we had read from the New Testament, the two builders? One builder built his house on the, on the sand. And these are people who heard the word. It's like people here this morning who hear the word, but you continue to live in fear and pride, looking to the, the wisdom of men. If that is you this morning, you're building your house on the sand and it will not stand. And my prayer is that we build a house on the rock, yes? And we're people of faith, not fear, of humility, not pride, looking to God, not people. And when we do that, what's the promise? The rains will come, the trials will come, the tragedies will come, but our house stands firm, yes? Why? Because we built it on the rock. So friends, trust the God who is almighty. He is all-powerful. He's in control. So trust him. Let me pray. Father God, we pray that you would make us a people who really are marked by faith and not fear. Help us, Lord, to hand over our cares and our troubles and our doubts and our worries over to you when we feel threatened by society or threatened by situations in our, in our life. Help us to depend on you as the all-powerful, all-knowing God. Ask that for Jesus' sake.